The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the Home Show podcast. I'm Sinead Ryan. Coming up this week, former Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan joins me later in the programme to discuss how to do up your rental space without getting on the bad side of your landlord. We'll be looking at home security systems and tech gadgets with Kira O'Brien, tech correspondent with the Irish Times. Why are house sales falling through due to delays in the conveyancing process? Well, I'll be asking IPAV Chief Executive Pat Davitt just that. And continuing our summer series on great Irish houses and gardens, we're taking a trip to Kilkenny to explore the rich and extensive history of one of Ireland's most beautiful castles. If you'd like to get involved in our podcast, well, then we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com at any stage during the week and you'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. Now, um, another week or month and another spate of bad news uh, about rentals. June rents, according to the latest staff report, were up 7.6%, mostly in places outside the rent pressure zones. So I presume there's a bit of people moving, there's extra demand, because in the rent pressure zones, which is pretty much every uh, city and big town, uh, landlords are constricted by the amount that they can increase rents uh, to 2%. So outside that, no such uh, limits apply. And so rents in Longford, Donegal and Tipperary, more than everywhere else, are climbing. So that is not good news if you're in the market to rent a home. For nearly 5,000 notices to quit were issued by landlords once the ban on evictions lifted in the first quarter of the year. I'm not quite sure what the government expected to happen there. It really comes under the heading of you know, what were you thinking? But listen, they assure us it would have been the wrong thing to do to keep the ban in place. I'm not sure renters will agree with that. Uh, And the reason I'm chatting about all this is because uh, for two of my guests, I'll be asking questions about rents and the rental market, but in completely different circumstances. So Pat Davitt will be in later on talking to me about the conveyancing process and renters who want to try and buy a home. Uh, I'll throw him a couple of questions on on maybe what might be coming up in the budget as well. And separately, Jenny Sheehan, on how you can spruce up a rental property without falling foul of your landlord. And she'll have great tips and hints, whether you're a student on a shoestring or whether you're an urban professional. So do stay tuned for that. And if you've any uh, insights for us on the rental market, what it's like where you live, then do get in touch with us today, 53106. And you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Now, first up, continuing our summer series on great Irish castles and gardens, we're taking a trip to Kilkenny, uh, which uh, last year, its castle ranked in the top 10 most beautiful castles in the world by Architectural Digest. And it's no surprise because it's absolutely stunning in one of the most beautiful cities in the country, the Marble City. So I'm joined by Peter Kenny, guide at Kilkenny Castle, to find out a little bit more about its history and heritage. Peter, you're very welcome to the home show. Good morning, Sinead, and thank you for having me on, and good morning to all your listeners. Now, give us the potted history of Kilkenny Castle. Um, I've been there a couple of times. I've taken the tour, maybe it was Rich yourself, I don't know, and uh, Mm -hmm. it is absolutely a beautiful, beautiful restoration of what is a very old structure. Well, despite its appearance from the outside today, Kilkenny Castle is one of the great medieval castles of Ireland. Um, The castle itself dates back to 
over 800 years ago, and the original castle was one of uh, Strongbow's original fortresses. The stone castle was continued by Strongbow's son-in-law, William Marshall, and in 1391-1392, the Kilkenny Castle became the uh, family seat of the Butler family, and they continued to reside there for 550 years, all the way up to 1967. And in August 1967, the castle was handed over to a local restoration committee. And in 1969, they passed into state care. And today, it's one of the most visited um, OBW sites that we have in Ireland. It is It is indeed. And butlers, I suppose, would be the family and the Dukes of Ormond who we are most familiar with in terms of the castle. So certainly having been there for, you know, 500 years or so, like it's incredibly, um, you know, long tenure for any family. Tell us a little bit maybe about some of the more notable dukes, because I know one of them, um, you know, certainly was responsible for uh, a lot of, of Dublin now, of building the capital city. Indeed, we're very fortunate with the Butler family that we have a family documented essentially from 1185 all the way up to the 20th century, although there is major, there is gaps occasionally in the lineage and the information. But the gentleman you're referring to is James Butler, who was created Duke of Ormond in 1660, and Maurice Craig, who was the great Dublin architect, credited with the creation of Dublin as a major European capital. So in Dublin today, I'm sure you're familiar with your listeners, are familiar with Ormond Quay and the Arran Quay. The Phoenix Park in Dublin is one of his creations, St. Stephen's Green. And one building we always recommend for people to visit, it's a wonderful building, is the Royal Hospital for old soldiers at Kilmainham. Mm. And he based that on a famous building he saw in Paris, a building called Les Angeles. And the hospital at Kilmainham went on to be the basis for the famous Chelsea Hospital over in London. Indeed. So they were good kind of custodians of Kilkenny Castle for the most part, were they? They were, and they they were well-liked here in the community as well. Uh, They left reluctantly in 1935. The financial upkeep of the castle was beyond them at that point. So they left reluctantly, and they were well-liked by the community um, over their tenure here in the castle uh, over that five and a half centuries. Right. Well, maybe not so well-liked by Oliver Cromwell, uh, who did his thing back in 1650 and (laughs) decided that he was having his own way with the the castle. There was extensive damage caused. Um, How how did that come about and, you know, how was it restored? Well, Cromwell's forces essentially uh, attacked Kilkenny. Kilkenny was a walled town, like most European cities, like Plumel and Waterford as well. And he battered the south wall with cannon. Now, lucky enough, the castle wasn't destroyed, nor was it abandoned, which unfortunately happened to a lot of castles in the 17th century. Um, It was remodeled in the late 17th century along the lines of a Baroque French hunting chateau. The wall remained in place until the 1770s, and the Butler family removed it and created what's now the present Castle Road, And in the Castle Park, we have the wonderful vista of what we call the Manorial Park outside today. I uh, was surprised to learn that it had a a witch, or maybe not a witch, but there was certainly a witch trial. (laughs) Tell us about that. It's certainly one of, actually, next year is the 800th anniversary. Uh, It's a famous Kilkenny lady. She was, indeed, you're quite right, she was accused of witchcraft. Her name is Dame Alice Kittler, 
and um, the bishop, that accuser of witchcraft, was briefly imprisoned here in the castle, a Franciscan called Bishop Richard Ledred, which is a suitably <laughs> sinister <laughs> name, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, luckily enough, Alice herself escaped, but her maidservant, a lady called Petronella de Mead, was burnt here in Kilkenny in 1324. So next year is the 800th anniversary and there will be major symposiums from from all over the world attracted to Kilkenny for that event. Oh right, okay. So that'll be interesting because I, I don't know if we know of many witch trials that have happened. I mean, we all think of, you know, Salem, Massachusetts and I know there was one up in, mm. in Down or in, in in Northern Ireland but I, I didn't know it was associated with somewhere as uh, as, as benign and pretty as Kilkenny. Well, it, it, what, again, we're very lucky, we're very fortunate. It's very, very well documented as well. So for historians, it's invaluable. It's one, also one of the earliest documented uh, witchcraft trials in, in Europe as well. OK, all right. And, and the persecution of women went on for quite some time after that. Uh, now, what can visitors expect when they go today to this fabulous restoration? Well, the, the castle today is, is uh, owned by the Office of Public Works, so it's held in, in public trust. But today we have the castle restored essentially as a restored Victorian stately home. So we've restored it to how it would have appeared in the 19th century. We were, we've undertaken two restoration projects, one in the 1980s, and the West Wing was reopened in St. Patrick's Day in 1994, and the the Parade Tower Events Conference Facility was reopened in the year 2000. So it's been restored over multiple phases of its history. But visitors today um, enter the castle to the main hall where visitors would have, would have entered. They would have continued up to the library drawing room. We have the bedrooms reopened, which are, um, we have exhibition spaces there. We've restored two of the bedrooms and the last part of the tourism is spectacular, which is the, the wonderful long gallery of Kilkenny Castle, which is the, the, the second longest room we have in Ireland with its wonderful ceiling, which was designed by, uh, which was painted by John Hubberford Pollan, who was Professor of Fine Arts at Newman College in Dublin. And that's done in a, in, in a quasi-medieval pre-Raphaelite style. So that's one of the highlights of the, of the visit today. It is, and very dramatic indeed. Uh, and Kilkenny Castle, how was your summer down there? Because I'm thinking, even though it's such miserable uh, weather, Peter, it is indoor uh, it, attractions maybe that, that benefited from that. Did you have lots of visitors? We had an extraordinary amount of visitors. We, we had a, this year has been exceptionally busy, fortunately. <laughs> We've just recently had um, Heritage Week, of course, and that yeah. coincided with Kilkenny Arts Week, which was celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. So we had lots of visitors from not only from Ireland, from abroad and from further afield as well. Indeed. All right. Well, listen, there's an upside to everything and, and the rain uh, certainly helped mm. you and, and indeed other OPW attractions. Where can people find out more about Kilkenny Castle, Peter? They can go to uh, heritageireland.ie and we would strongly encourage your listeners to enjoy some of the other less visited sites, perhaps, uh, which are local, just in the vicinity of Kilkenny. You have Point Abbey, Kells Priory, Ormond Castle, Carrick and Shore, Ross Cray, 
the main yard in Clonmel, and you have uh, St. Mary's Church in Gorin, which is a wonderful site to visit as well. So there's numerous heritage sites, too, right. and more and more opening, by the way, as well. Indeed, sure. There's nowhere you can go in the country. You can throw a stone mm. and you're going to hit a castle at some point. All right. Listen, uh, Peter yeah. Kenny, Chief Guide at Kilkenny Castle, thank you so much for joining us this morning uh, on, much, on The Home Show. And that uh, forms part and nearly the end, I'm afraid, of our summer series on uh, fabulous houses and castles in Ireland. And I know a lot of you have enjoyed the series. They're all available to download from our podcast, which is up in the News Talk app. And you can go through them all and listen to them there. And we've had some brilliant experts and insights into that. Still to come today on The Home Show, we'll be talking home security tech with Kira O'Brien, as well as ongoing delays in the conveyancing process with Pat Davitt of IPAD. Don't go away. Now, a recent survey conducted by the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers has found that four out of every five agents claim sales are failing because of delays in the conveyancing process. Well, joining me now to discuss why this is and what home buyers and sellers can do about it is IPAV Chief Executive Pat Davitt. Pat, you're very welcome to the studio. Morning, Sinead. Nice to see you. Now, how is the conveyancing process currently set up? What should happen? Okay, so ideally at the moment when a vendor wants to sell their property or a property owner wants to sell their property, they call out an agent or numerous agents to look at their property, etc. And uh, then they pick an agent that's going to sell the property for them. And that agent then will put that property on the market. Now, uh, IPAV members have been advised uh, by IPAV to take a list of the documents that's required uh, for the process of the conveyancing. Uh, which are legal documents, etc., and many other certificates that's required to the vendor and ask them to contact their solicitor. Obviously, at this point, the scenario arises in lots of cases that clients don't have solicitors maybe of their own. They may have numbers, numerous solicitors and they might decide that they're going to use this one or that one or they might not decide even at that stage. And in some cases, actually, uh, Sinead, uh, our members find that even when people sell their property and the vendor has the property sold, even at that stage, some vendors are still very unsure of what solicitor they're going to use to do the conveyancing process for them. So really, uh, this all leads to a scenario in the process when the agent goes and sells the property, then they instruct the solicitor, who in lots of cases only know about the sale when they get the sales advice note. And then they have to start putting all the legal papers and documents together that's required to make the process happen. So the legal documents would be like take up deeds, for instance, from the banks. Title the title. The title, yeah. make sure that, that you know, the bank knows you're selling it. And are you including things there like the BER search and the surveyors and all that? Yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of things that's yeah. required. Uh, like uh, we have a list of, of things that are required for the sale and like you know they're, they're even even certificates for septic tank certificates for NPPR property tax like all oh, that sort yeah. of thing are all required so the solicitor has to go about getting all those documents together uh, including planning documents and the planning documents can be one that causes an awful lot of hassle because maybe there's extension built to the houses maybe there's something else in it that maybe the plan hasn't been got maybe, maybe certificates of compliance have or to be got Or you have to prove this was a, a legit kind of add-on yeah. and it got planning back in the, back in the day and what all. So what's what's the problem then? Is it that you have found that sellers aren't getting across this early enough in the process 
or is does the problem lie with the solicitors in your view? Um, no, I don't think the problem lies with the solicitors. Um, I think what the, the problem is that we're not getting at these documents that are required early enough so that when the sale agreed, then the solicitor goes about uh, their work and they look at these documents, etc., which could take 8, 10, 12 weeks, in some cases maybe up to 20 weeks. We found the average time that a sale that takes to get a property sale agreed to get the contract signed is 10 and a half weeks. There are some of them that are less and there are many of them that are more. So does that mean then that the potential buyer is is getting tired and going off elsewhere and the sale is falling through then or or is is everything just getting pushed back because lots of people are in a chain when they're buying and you know they're buying and selling at the same time well what it means is uh, first of all you're waiting for this amount of time so if somebody comes along to the auctioneer in the meantime you know, the auctioneer represents the vendor and the vendor only they don't represent the purchaser so that if somebody comes along another purchaser comes along even though the auctioneer is the sale agreed and offers uh, more money for the property we'll say the auctioneer sold the property for 400,000 and somebody comes along and says listen I missed this sale but I'm still prepared to offer 450,000 for this property the agent has to go back to the vendor and tell the vendor about this offer so it could all happen that they, that's one thing that has happened and, and that's one thing that is happening uh, on a continuous basis and it caused a lot of embarrassment for everybody mm. but mostly for the purchasers, original purchasers that bought this property mm. were good enough to buy this property and it caused a lot of stress for them. The other things that can happen is that if the time frame passes by your loan, we say you've got a loan approval and most of these loan approvals are six months but if it passes by that six months then you have to go back and get your new loan approval or get that one amended, whatever yeah. the case may be. And you could find that when you go back to get the loan approval that maybe because interest rates have changed at the moment that you may not well be able to pay back the original loan that you actually yeah. got. You're so not your passing the new stress test and, and your new could loan change. falls by the way. So, so, okay, so that's the problem. So what's the solution, Pat? Well, the solution we believe is very simple because we have, uh, at the moment, we have other ways of selling property, public auctions and online properties. So those public auctions and online properties, at the moment, all of these documents that we're speaking about are got upfront before such time as a property is put in the market. So if you're selling your property and I advise you as an agent to sell it by auction, I immediately or you immediately go to your solicitor and say, I'm going to sell my property by auction. Can you get the relevant documents and have them ready for the auction day? Because it's not allowed in the sale until all that's done? Well, you can't sell the property. Like if I go to offer you a property for sale and I have my hammer out and I'm ready to sell Mm, it, mm. I can't sell it unless I know that the property is actually saleable and that the deeds and everything are in order and the solicitor has all the documents ready to sign the contracts that day that the sale happens. So if you applied that principle to every house sale then they'd all go to market and houses are flying at the moment I mean they're not taking that long to sell then then you reckon that everybody would be lined up you've introduced a pack yeah. to help the market here what, what we've introduced a, a legal sellers pack which includes the documentation that we that are required for a sale to happen yeah. including planning documents legal documents the NPR documents all of these sort of things and we're saying that these documents should be gathered before a sale happens now it could be very simple for people to say well, why don't agents make sure this happens in originally, you know, before such time as mm. a property goes in the market? Agents can't do that because vendors, they work for vendors. While you can advise the vendor, but you can't actually say to the vendor, you go and get these documents now or I'm not putting your property in the market because another agent will put the property in the market. So what we're saying is, unfortunately, we need to legalise this. And with the seller's legal pack, we've brought a bill through the doll or bringing a bill through the doll at the moment. And that bill is called the Legal Seller's Pack uh, Bill 2021. Now, 
we've got a first reading on that last November, 12 months, and we're right. going to get a second reading on it on the 5th of October. Okay. And we hope that it passes that particular stage and it will go on to uh, committee stage. And then the committees can have a look at it and see what needs to be done, etc., etc. So this legislation, if it's passed, would compel the agent to be able to say to the seller, you have to get all this stuff lined up before we can market your property. And But that's going to just delay it at that end, is it not? Well, what's going to happen at that end is this bill, if it, if it becomes law, is going to mean that a seller cannot put their property on the market unless they've got all the documents together. Now, uh, there's another sort of a small problem here that some of these properties aren't, aren't marketable in the beginning. So an agent sells a property and then finds that maybe when the property is sold... Oh, the title is there's dodgy or the there's no planning or something. With the planning. Oh, okay. Or it could be a right-of-way or something like this. So what we're saying is that uh, this these documents need to be gathered first. So that's what the bill would do. Cut and out yes, the time wasting. There is going to be a, a, an amount of time in the beginning, but that amount of time is there. This is a well-rehearsed process that we have for, legal, uh, for, for public auctions and online auctions at the moment. Right. So that time frame is there for them at the moment. So in the beginning, it's going to mean that there's going to be a certain amount of time but as cordon as it blends into the system mm. it will move on and then okay. that time frame right. will obviously actually go away. Well we'll see where that goes that's the uh, Property Buyers Bill 2020 what did you 2021. say? 2021 Oh sure it's only 2023 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It takes a bit of time <laughs> to get these through the doll. Well while we're talking about the doll let me ask you a question then because it won't be long before the budget is upon us and um in terms of, there seems to be flags being flown at the moment about what is on the cards for landlords uh, and, and indeed tenants, because I know there's some talk about uh, increasing the, the tenant, the rent tax credit. It's currently 500, maybe making it a thousand or something like that, although precious few people seem to be looking for it anyway. Um, what kind of thing in the market would you like to see coming up in the budget Um maybe for homeowners who are landlords? Well, uh, I've heard this as well, that the 14,000 that's extended the room to rent of 14,000 could be extended to landlords. And obviously, anything that landlords get is great. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and that's going to be very good for small landlords, which are the majority of people in the marketplace at the moment with one house or two houses or something. But like the real sort of thing, the real nut or the real kernel of this problem is the tax that landlords pay. And like landlords are paying 55 to 58% of their of their rent in tax. So in actual fact, when you rent a property, the landlord gets so much and the government get the rest. Mm. And that's really where it is. It's more than a 50, they get more than a 50% share of the actual rent. Now we know that landlords have been leaving the market, uh, partly maybe, they say due to that, partly because of the rent pressure zone thing, they can't increase the rents by more than 2%. Are you still seeing that exodus um, Pat, among maybe your members who are also letting agents or has it shored up at all? Um, no, we're still seeing that and we're seeing it because of the fact that at the end of the day if a landlord goes to increase the rent or if, if, the, if at the moment if a landlord is caught in the rent pressure zones yeah. and, they, and they're not charging market rent, what happens is that they have only one choice with that property if they can't afford to make the repayments of the mortgage etc and the only one is a nuclear option and that is to sell the property. Yeah. They cannot increase the rent in a rent pressure zone and that's a huge problem of okay, the rent pressure and that's zones. Something they maybe don't want to do. It's their polarised choice and of course their tenant won't want to do it either. All right, well listen, we'll wait and see. We expect a lot more kites between now and early October to see what's in the budget. But for now, IPAV Chief Executive Pat Davitt, thanks very much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Sinead.
Now, with the nights closing in and the dark evenings, I'm afraid already getting longer. Well, this is often the time when we start thinking a little bit more about our home security and tech can play a huge part in this. But let's find out what's on the market, what's new to the market, uh, all to make us a little bit safer uh, in the autumn and winter. And I'm delighted uh, to say that Kira O'Brien, Irish Times uh, business and technology journalist, joins me now to figure out just what that might be. Kira, you're very welcome to The Home Show. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, first of all, do you need to spend, when I think of tech, I immediately think of loads of money. So do you need to spend an absolute fortune to kind of get any form of tech into your house? No, you don't. I look, and some of the the most effective things can actually be the the cheapest. Um, for example, Wi-Fi light bulbs and plugs. And you know, we're told obviously when it comes into winter uh, and as the nights kind of get a bit darker, a bit earlier, uh, that you, you should uh, have plenty of lights on. That's the one thing that you can mm. do to make people seem as if they're at home. And and in the past, you would have gotten all those timer plugs, and you know, the lights would come on at a certain time each day. But it was always the same time each day. Uh, and what I've found really effective uh, from both a convenience and from a security point of view is uh, Wi-Fi lights uh, or plugs. And what you can do is for usually under 20 euro, depending on, on what system you go for, you can get these bulbs that you basically put into your existing light fittings because they come in the standard fittings, the screw ones or the bayonet fittings. Mm-hmm. Um, they connect to your Wi-Fi your Wi-Fi, home Wi-Fi router. And then what you can do is you can set them to come on at certain times. We can set them to come, say, maybe to track sunset. So instead of a light coming on at 5.30 every day, uh, as it starts to get darker that bit earlier, it will track the sunset. So 10 minutes after sunset, kind of hits the official sunset time hits the lights will come on and that changes day to day so it means you never have to touch it it's a set it and forget it thing that to be honest I love because it means then you know if I'm away or if I'm out Mm. uh, the lights will come on anyway but they don't come on at the exact same time every single day you know, you love it and I'm thinking that's terrifying that I can do that. <laughs> and well, you, you know, everything it, it, in these smart homes is just like, I mean, it's brilliant and it's and it's an amazing embracing of, of what we can now do. But like, you know, you're, there is, it's so intelligent that it kind of worries me sometimes. Anyway, so lighting, that's a really good idea and, you're, and I'm surprised it's so cheap actually. So that's fantastic. Um, now, locks, I didn't realise actually there was such a thing as a smart lock. So talk to me a little bit about what that is. There are, there's a couple of people doing these now. And obviously, look, if you're going to put a smart lock on your home, you have to make a decision whether or not this is right for you. So what they are is they are either Bluetooth or they're mostly kind of Bluetooth connected locks or Wi-Fi connected locks that will allow you to remotely unlock the door or to use your phone as the key. So, for example, Yale do one. And Yale is a fairly well-known brand mm-hmm. name uh, in home security and you know they have a, a, a smart lock that you can basically send keys to people digitally. So if you have workmen coming to the house or if you have a cleaner that comes every day, if you have somebody walking the dog, if you have somebody coming in to water your plants while you're away, they don't have to have a physical key. Now, obviously, it's very convenient. Uh, that has to be balanced with uh, the security side of things. So, for example, you know, we're doing some home renovation at the moment. I am putting a smart lock on the door, but it's on the, the, the porch door rather than the entry door into the house. Okay. Because I don't, I, look, th- th- these things are great, but, you know, with something that's connected to the internet, with all technology, there is always a risk there that something can go wrong. And, you know, I personally would rather not, you know, put this on the only door 
into my house because I would like to know that there is a physical barrier <laughs> between people yeah. getting, you know, putting something in a house. But the, the porch is fine because it means then, you know, if somebody is coming to the house or if a package arrives, as they often do, rather than it sitting on the doorstep in the rain, I can remotely open the door or I can give somebody a code to open the door. Uh, there's a new one coming uh, into the market now that you can get it on Amazon, but it's actually a Dutch company, so you can order it directly from them. And it's a company called, I think I'm pronouncing this right, it's called Locked, it's L-O-Q-E-D. Um, what they have is part of the lock is it's Bluetooth activated. So if you have the key on your, this digital key on your phone in your pocket, it works the same way as keyless car entry. So you walk up to the door and it will allow you to automatically unlock the door without having to take a key out. So very convenient, something that we've gotten used to if you've been with right. cars, but if you've got your hands full, then you can get mm. into your porch door, put your packages down, get your regular keys out and open your front door. Um, and they do have strong encryption that now before anybody thinks like, I, I'm, uh, you know, kind of doing them down on, on this, they do have extremely strong encryption on this. You know, it's not highly unlikely anybody could actually hack these locks. But as I said, with any sort of technology that's connected to the internet, you are always going to have a risk. Yeah, I suppose it's not unlike the technology that some cars have, newer cars, where as you approach them with the key in your pocket, it opens exactly. the car and turns on the lights. So it's the same principle. Exactly. And, you know, the same thing, you can also link your your home lights to do that as you cross a certain geographical uh, barrier, I suppose it's geofencing, it will turn on the lights to welcome you home. Mm. Philips do some some outdoor lights that can be connected into your home Wi-Fi so that as you come home, the lights come on or you can add a motion sensor as somebody walks into your garden that the lights on the, the front of the house will automatically come on. And yeah. that can be a powerful deterrent. Now, obviously, you know, the, the more involved you get and the more intricate the technology, you know, the more you're going to pay for it. Um, I think like some of the, the Philips lights, the, the motion sensor for the outdoor lights is it's something like uh, it's under 50 euro. Okay. You can buy it for under 50 euro. Yeah, but so like that's still just one sensor. Yeah. You know, and so and of course, more. the light itself, having, having you know, a, a, if somebody's coming up for nefarious purposes, having a big halogen light shine on them uh, could well act as a deterrent. But I presume what's even more going to act as a deterrent is having a photograph of them, having them on camera. And the net, the doorbell thing, um, I actually encountered it for the first time. I don't have one, but I, I was visiting somebody last weekend and, and they had this this doorbell. We were able to wave at them to say, it's us. Uh, thankfully, they let us in. Of course, they could equally say, we're not at home. <laughs> Great for screening. So <laughs> it, that's increasingly popular. Is it is it the Nest doorbell? Is that the one or do they are there a few of them? There's a few of them on the market. So companies like Eufy, who also do um, home security cameras and robot vacuums, they have their own version. Uh, I suppose the two that people would most be familiar with, though, is the Ring doorbell and the Nest doorbell. And, you know, they both do essentially the same thing, but they have slightly different features. So if you see the new Nest doorbell, which is kind of, it's it's a lot bigger than the, the older one. Um, and it's this big white doorbell you can see as you come up to the door. Yeah. Uh, what it will do is... Um, you don't have to have a subscription to get video history on it, but it would give you, I think it's three hours um, out of the box. And ah, the difference okay. there is what you can do. And what I really like about this one, because I've, I've tested quite a few of these over the years. Um, what I really like about the Nest one is, is that I can designate a zone before I even put my hand in my pocket to pay for a subscription. I can designate a zone in front of my door that says monitor this and this only. Um, and I only want to see people and packages. I don't want to get notifications about cats or cars yeah, so it yeah, yeah. and it does 
does all that on the bell because this is the okay. other thing that people are a bit wary of sending their data to the cloud to be processed because that's what a lot of these services do it takes your video feed very quickly runs some algorithms on it in the cloud and sends it back down and then says yeah you know you know this is the the notifications that you want this is a person at your door whereas the next one it does uh, it does a lot of that on the actual bell so you don't have to have that cloud service that you're paying a fee for um, now you do pay a bit more for the bell you know it's a couple of hundred euro for the bell mm. but it's you know it's battery operated now you don't have to have uh, a mains kind of connection for it which is a big thing yeah. for a lot of people and I wonder and you, I wonder though Kira, having just even the very act of having it you know the way an alarm box could put off a, a potential robber uh, just the spotting the Nest doorbell or the equivalent would, would send them out to a different house, really, would it? You would think so now, but, um, you know, I've had, as I said, we've, we've had a video doorbell as long as I've lived here. And, and about two years ago, uh, a woman stole my pot plants off my front doorstep. What? It took me, like two trees on either side. And it took me about, it took me a few days to realise what was missing. Because, you know, you, you just don't see it after a while. And when I went back and checked the video, you could see her walking up to it. Uh, and I think it was, it was the older bell that we had. So it was actually a bit more subtle. This one is very obvious. And, you know, the ring ones are very obvious. But she did not care. <laughs> did I you mean, know her? Is, Were you able to no, track her I down? didn't. Uh, no, I didn't. I, but she, she, she shuffled up to my doorstep in her slippers and her... Um, her dressing gown and her pajamas and it turns out that it's about three in the morning so it turns out that quite a few people around the area had, had things taken Shame. from their front gardens overnight so it's obviously just somebody desperate for a few pot plants yeah oh well pot plants and some god. lanterns and whatever you know so god knows where they ended up but you know well I if hope, she yeah. if she has a neighbourhood party and invites everybody they'll go and identify their items god love her exactly That's appalling all right okay well maybe it is not the deterrent then that we thought it was uh, Kira O'Brien uh, Irish Times Business and Tech Correspondent listen thanks a million for all of that I'm sure you will be safe and sound <laughs> this autumn for sure <laughs> uh, and that's some brilliant uh, tips available and of course Kira is in the Irish Times and people can catch uh, up all of her uh, hints and uh, writings there Kira, thanks a million for joining us on the Home Show today Thanks for having me You're very welcome back to part three of the Home Show podcast this episode. Now, with so many people renting right now, uh, who likely still be renting, uh, it has to be said, in the months and maybe even years to come, it can be very hard to live in a space uh, that isn't really yours, but one that never really feels like home, even though your things are around you. So what can we do to spruce up rental properties without breaking the bank and more importantly, breaking that rental agreement? Well, Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan joins me now uh, to chat about this. Jenny, you're very welcome back to the studio. Love to be here. Now, um, I'm conscious that we've had the Leaving Cert results Best of luck to everyone. Don't worry, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) Our congratulations have been very well. And the offers are coming in now, next week, I think Wednesday, the first CEOs. I've nobody, thankfully, uh, this year. Still (laughs) remember. Still have the nightmares. (laughs) Don't we? They never go away. They never go away. So uh, with all of that in mind, we're going to kind of look at two types of renter. One is the student on Mm. a shoestring and then the professional kind of urban renter, yeah. maybe who's a little bit more money to spend. Yeah. So you've been taking a look at what can and can't be done yeah. in a property 
that you don't own. So so give us a kind of a sense of of maybe leases and, and I mm. presume they vary, but how they work. And a lot of these I've done myself. So I do, I'm, you know, I was renting for years and I won't, anyone who went to NUIG in the kind of late to <laughs> mid to late noughties will remember Car Village. There was no sprucing that up. But there are some <laughs> apartments that you really can make your own and you can do something. So the number one first step, I would say, is check your contract because you just never know, you know, you'll have signed it. It's unlikely you'll have read it word for word. Just make sure what's in there. Are you even allowed to put a little hole in the wall for hanging up a picture? You know, there's probably something in there about paint. There's probably something in there about any scuff marks, anything at all. Pets. Yeah. <laughs> Noise. Very hard to get around. Parties. To pets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, donut yeah. party. Yeah, exactly. OK, so check so your lease check and lease. make sure, you know, you know what's involved. And as yeah. you say, in, in a lot of halls of residence, yeah. it's literally nothing. nothing. Poster with blue tack. And be careful the blue tack because oh, the blue yeah. tack can leave yeah. a stain on the wall. Mm. So I'd say use command hooks instead. So and if you can, if you're in a position, maybe you're not in student halls and you're renting privately or whatever, maybe you've talked to your landlord. Your landlord might be lovely. And in some cases, you never know, they might actually pay for a couple of upgrades if they're if you can show that it's going to add value to the house. So just okay. get everything in writing is all I would say. Okay. Before all right. that. So so if you're if you're on a shoestring, something easy, cheap and simple things that you yes. can do to just because I isn't it the case that a lot of rental properties are just by nature bland? bland. We're into the Too magnolia, white. very very you know, bright, the elephant grey, and just Echoey. kind of yeah, maybe kind of blonde furniture. Yeah, you know, okay. Yeah. So not so, that cozy. No. So the number one first thing I would say to everyone is start with your lighting. You would be okay. So surprised at what a difference lighting can make, and that is such a simple one to swap out because you could just change the light shades. I mean, that's easy. No one's going to, you know, take away your deposit from just swapping that out. Just keep the old ones in case, you know, they need to go back. And actually, that's a good point for anything you take down yeah. to replace. Hang on to the old version so that just before you leave, you can put it all back again. Exactly. Yeah, do that. And I know you probably don't have a lot of storage, so that might need to go in a garage somewhere, you know, a friendly parent or aunt or uncle or whatever. Uh, but keep everything. Don't throw anything away. So swap out the lampshades if you can uh, and then maybe swap out the bulbs if you can. So sometimes you're stuck with these really bright kind of glare very cheap, you know, bright white light kind of bulbs and look for warmer bulbs, look for more modern bulbs. You'd probably save yourself a bit of electricity uh, costs as well. And then see where you are. So once you swatch around the, uh, around the lighting, see where you are. Next thing then that's massive is any of the soft furnishings. So curtains and blinds, like you know yourself, normally you're in a rental apartment, you have these horrible blinds, you know, those slatted things. Okay, they, they might, you know, give you a bit of privacy, but they're not cosy, they're not pretty, you don't like looking at them. So, have a look, see what rails you have, see what curtain rails are there, see what blind rails are there and see what's easy to take down and see what you can put back up. If you're buying, you know, pre-made curtains, uh, you can just use that iron-on Wonderweb stuff to shorten them. You're looking at, you know, less than 50 quid. You can get a really nice pair of curtains mm. even in Ikea. Um, and you, you might be allowed to install curtain rails. That does require, obviously, a bit of drilling holes in the ceiling or the, the wall, which the landlord might not like. But you might be able to work with what you have. I mean, if yeah, there's a pole exactly. up that's holding hideous curtains, if you there's can take a pole the curtains up, you're away with it. If yeah. there's a pole up, you're away with it. If you can't do anything, if you're really, really stuck, what you can do is look for a tension rod, right? So you'll be able to buy this in somewhere like Harry Kari or anywhere that does okay. curtain rods or, you know, woodies or wherever. Uh, look for a tension rod. This is something that's on kind of a spring. So it'll push against the inside of the window frame. Oh, this is like the ones you find sometimes in hotels over the bath for laundry exactly, <laughs> for for laundry. exactly so yeah. there's no holes involved no holes okay, but in they're the quite 
Do they take a bit of weight? No, they don't yeah. take very much okay. weight. So you so want to just buy a really, a boil really or foil. Yeah. yeah. So this is really okay. just for a bit of dressing. Yeah, Super. Exactly. Okay. Uh, any? Okay. So what else can you do? Now, you can't really change the sofa or, you know, you mightn't have the money to do anything. So yeah. are we into then colour pops different way? Yeah. So the, the next thing, all the soft furnishings. So rugs are a huge one because, you know, typically you might have that kind of not so nice laminate flooring or something that doesn't feel so so nice to walk on. So rugs, go look for rugs. Scour the secondhand shops for rugs. You would you'd be so surprised what you might find in there. The NCBI, they're unbelievable for for any furniture, but they have lovely rugs. Okay. And just give them a good old clean. You know, get your steam cleaner out. Um, do whatever you need to do. And then any rugs, cushions, throws, all that kind of stuff. And then the next thing, the main thing is if you have. A couch, and I have had some horrible couches. <laughs> Squeaky, pleather, plasticky, ugh, horrible couches. But you can get couch covers. So you look for those, you know, those elasticy, stretchy covers. They have them in IKEA, they have them in Home Store and more. And, you know, even just a plain one that's a bit softer than the one that you okay. that you have would make a big Okay. Difference. Actually, and you don't want to nice think throw. of the sofa too much, do you? No, I'd say just cover it. Yeah, just cover <laughs> that for starters. And then a nice throw, and then some cushions, and you have a brand new sofa okay. for about 100 euro. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. All right, that's fantastic. And of course, you can give it a good old uh, clean. Give it a good old clean. Because you, you don't want any smell no. emanating underneath. The best right, thing okay. for that is just go and get a big box of bicarbonate of soda. Okay. And put a few drops of oil or something that smells nice in there, sprinkle it all over the couch, leave it for 15, 20 mm. minutes, something like that, and hoover it off and all the smell will be gone. Is shake and vac still available? Shake and vac is do the shake and same vac? thing. Yeah, okay, yeah, right. Right. Cheap so, so buy a couple of <laughs> cans of that. Right, okay. Uh, now plants, of course, are always a stalwart, and I love the idea. And my daughter does this in her rental property because she's yeah. not allowed hang things on the wall. Uh, a standing mirror. Oh yeah, with a great plant idea. in front of it looks amazing, and then the plant is reflected, so it, it feels bigger, isn't it? and Lots it makes such a difference. Huge. Um, she has a big yucca which yeah. keeps growing out of its pot. So I, maybe she I, made the right choice. <laughs> she shouldn't ask me about plants. I said, get a yucca. They're, they don't need watering or anything. <laughs> Everyone get a yucca. I need a yucca yeah. then. Get a plant that is not hard to kill. That is all right. I will say. Okay. Right, that is hard to kill. That is hard to okay. kill. Okay, so uh, plants, look, green, you actually can't go wrong with greenery. Yeah. And are they good to have? An, I can never remember whether you're supposed to have an in bedroom or not. There's an oxygen <sighs> carbon dioxide. I think they take the carbon dioxide, don't they? I think, well, I, there, there's some, I think, that might release carbon dioxide at night time, okay. though. So look Check into it. Out. Look right. into it. Okay. <laughs> uh, now, Art, uh, when it comes yeah. to changing up, so nails aside, what yeah. did you mention at the beginning? What command hooks. Command hooks are these, you'll, buy, you'll find them in any hardware shop. They're made by 3M, that company that makes everything to do with glue, post-its, okay. everything like that. And they're basically these uh, non-damage hooks. They, there's a load of them. Some of them can take quite a significant amount of weight. Uh, some of them I'm hanging coats off, you know, in, okay. in the back of so my So they stick doors. on, do they? They stick on and then they, they have a, a special way of peeling off that doesn't damage anything. I use them all the time. Okay. They're absolutely magic. Command hooks. Excellent, right. Just make sure you follow the instructions for taking them off to yeah. the letter. yeah. So that means that you could use that to hang a picture, yeah. a photograph. A and mirror. actually, it makes such an immense difference having your stuff around. The stuff you've picked, yeah. maybe at a street market or photograph a family or whatever. Yeah. It makes a big difference to yeah. have it there, doesn't huge. it? Yeah, okay. huge. And you can make the stuff yourself. Have a night in, get a big blank canvas, throw on like a YouTube tutorial for abstract art or something like that and uh, make it yourself. Brilliant. All right. Well, look, that's fantastic. That is the shoestring 
uh, way of doing it. So very cheap as chips, really. Cheap I mean, you're chips. not spending any money there. And if you're going to be there for the whole academic year, uh, you might as well uh, cosy it up if you're allowed to do that. Now, um, the other market, of course, are the people who, you know, are in maybe mm. a more expensive apartment. Uh, now, that means maybe they have more precious landlords. Yeah. They're spending a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, they have they have maybe the cash to do things mm. a little bit differently. But they're st- stuck maybe by, by similar lease terms. So if you have a bit of cash to splash, what would you recommend? Well, furniture is the main thing. So I, I would say you can bring in your own furniture if you've got a bit more money, right? You're not stuck with the kind of studenty, flimsy, <laughs> it's going to yeah. be broken by the yeah. end of the year no matter what you do kind of furniture. So bring your own. One thing I would say, and this is something I did when I was renting because I moved every now and then, was look for mer- modular furniture. So this is couches that have sections that can be rearranged in different ways or those kind of shelving units, you know, those those box kind of shelving units that can be rearranged in different ways. Because the configuration in the next place might be different? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So maybe your couch fits here and you can fit a longer one in your next place or vice versa, whatever it might be. So look for modular furniture. That's a huge one. Then I would say you might be able to repaint the walls. So if you're investing a little bit, you could buy paint. Be careful again, check with your landlord. You might have to paint it back. Mm. So that's, you know, double the expense if you have to do that. So so just be careful. Uh, Plan for that before you move out or you might get permission to, to paint it and leave it, but get that in writing. Make sure that. The next thing I would say that really makes a huge difference to, to rental properties where you can't maybe change things out or, or paint things is decal. So this is contact paper. You, you remember covering school I books do. with it. Tell me, how they, tell me how this is an option a in a nice way. apartment. I did this in a previous, I th- was it the second to last place I lived in, I think before I uh, moved into my current house. You're giving me now September vibes here. <laughs> covering them when I was a kid and now from my own kids. Contact right, paper contact has come paper. a okay. long, a long way. Okay. So de- look for decals or contact paper. The one I got, it's this beautiful kind of marbled effect and I used it on this old Ikea bookshelf thing and it ended up looking phenomenal. I'm really proud of what I did with that. So uh, Lenehan's on Cable Street in Dublin have it or look at Woody's um, or uh, or try Amazon or, or anywhere like that. So decals and contact paper. What you can do with this is basically cover any surface with impunity. So this could be... You know, if you've got a kitchen countertop that you just hate, you can get wood effect, you can get marble effect, you can get quartz effect. And, you know, it isn't wood, it isn't marble, it isn't quartz, but it is can be very realistic looking. So order a sample if you're going online before you, you commit. Uh, it's so easy to put on. So you just kind of scrape it on with something flat and smooth. Make okay. sure there's no bubbles. No bubbles. Right. And it does last pretty well. I mean, don't be chopping with a sharp knife directly on it, but it does last okay. pretty well. And actually just that feeling, you know, when you're walking into a room and the one depressing thing may be, you know, kind of something shabby or yeah. old wood or whatever and it kind of depresses you. Just to walk in and see something bright and shiny and new can yeah. actually lift your mood. Does that come off easily Yeah, then? it comes off so easily. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't leave a trace. It's magic stuff. I don't know how it does it. I have never looked into it because I almost don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the magic but it comes off and it leaves no mark. It's brilliant. Okay, brilliant. brilliant. Now and I know that there is an equivalent for tiles. Yeah. So t- talk to me a little bit about so tiles. So what you're looking for here are tile decals they're most normally called and they are unbelievable. So say if you've got like a backsplash in your kitchen or your bathroom you're just not thrilled with it you can paint tiles but you might not be allowed to mm. in a rental property. Mm. Uh, you can't get paint off so easily but you can get tile decals off easily. These are they're unbelievable. They look just like tiles. They come in all different shapes and sizes, all different colours. Again, order a sample because, you know, the range is, the quality range is, is, is uh, you know, it's it's there. So just make sure you're, you're getting something on the so upper end. So these just, they're 
they just stick onto the stick tiles. Stick straight onto your tiles. And you get a pattern. You'd have them up in half an hour. Right, okay. They're absolutely fantastic. There's a top tip. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, so that's brilliant. Now, and another um, thing that you mentioned to me was the whole idea of room dividers. Yeah. So is this like for maybe an open plan apartment where you've kind of got like a big, one big space? So yeah. Ha- what kind of thing you're talking about there? So, you know, those very French, very kind of uh-huh. <laughs> or Japanese yes. kind of Asian Je style room quoi. dividers. So okay. if you're in a rental property, those you are Victorian screens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Concertina <laughs> to protect your, your modesty when you're flinging clothes over them. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. OK, yes. we got also it. We got it. We got 20 it. 20s <laughs> style. Kind of, yes, exactly. So make sure you fling clothes over it and <laughs> smoke a cigarette from a long thing of a dick or whatever. But uh, this is brilliant because obviously you can't change your internal walls in your rental apartment. They very much frown on that. They don't like Mm. it. Don't do that. But if you're stuck in this big open space, especially if you're working from home and you're living with people, whatever, these room dividers can be massive. They can make such a huge difference. They're actually, they can be quite uh, soundproofing, especially if you've got a heavier fabric, something quite absorbent, um, and you can work away and take your Zoom calls or whatever we're doing at home these days from behind that. And it really can completely change uh, a room. Makes a huge difference. Okay, so when you're putting the... Are they freestanding then? Yeah, they're freestanding. One thing I really love, back to your mirrors point, is if you have one even on one side, if there's mirrors, that can make the space feel a lot bigger because you're getting in a lot of reflective surface. You can put your plants in front of that. So, you know, you can get a nice kind of three bifold, trifold, whatever you call it, mirror room divider, and that looks wonderful. Yeah, and I can imagine that would be very useful if you have a little kind of work desk and your laptop yeah. and files and uh, and it kind of it's in your sitting room. Yeah. So it's that kind of space. Or you want to. laundry. Because the math, the oh, one right. thing that really grinds my gears about <laughs> apartments and anywhere, and I did this myself when I moved into my own apartment, I didn't really think of laundry. Um, and there's always that clothes horse. And it's out and it's ugly. So put the room divider in front of that. Brilliant. All right. Fantastic idea. Uh, Great stuff there from uh, Jenny. And thanks a million for coming in. And Jenny's uh, inspo can be found on? Workers Cottage on Instagram. That's it. All right. And that's all we have time for uh, this week. So if you do have somebody who uh, has just got the results and is looking forward to their CAO selection, uh, hopefully you can steer them that way if indeed they are uh, finding themselves in the lucky position, it has to be said, of student accommodation. Uh, Now, uh, if you'd like to get involved in the show, if there's any guests or topics you'd like us to cover uh, over the coming weeks, do get in touch at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or me on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. Thanks to Aoife Breen, Simon Keane producing this week with Stephen McLoon on sound. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. Saturday morning at 8. With Colour Trend Paint on Newstalk. Newstalk.